to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding The text that speaks to us this morning is from the 8th chapter of the book of Romans verses 1 through 11. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. May the Lord bless to our hearts the reading of his word. When we lived in Columbus, Mississippi, uh, as the pastor of uh, the downtown church. Uh, it's called Main Street Presbyterian Church. And it was great for one of the birthday parties that we had uh, for our oldest son, Chase. It was a, a treasure hunt birthday party because this old building had three stories and then they had added an education building that had three stories and then we lived 10 feet away from the church in an old two-story Victorian house with a big wraparound porch. And the best part was the pilings were so high you could walk under the house. Think about that for a kid, you know, walking in the dark dungeon uh, of the house, the cave. Uh, so we made a treasure map, divided it up into eight different pieces, burned the edges, you know, so that it looked old and... And we hit them all over this huge complex. And so one clue led to the next. And I can't remember. I believe the final clue was found under the house, you know, in some dark corner. And then the treasure was found on the corner of a third floor. Uh, 
So it was just so cool to see the mounting excitement and thrill of the kids as they discovered the treasure. And that could have been for a daughter or a son because it would be pleasing to, to either. You know, a bunch of girls are doing this or go, girls and guys, you know, treasure hunt is great. Not so the ballerina party that we had for Anna Kate, right? It was all girls, of course, except for her two brothers didn't have to actually leave the house. But a real ballet dancer came in full costume and showed them dances and interacted and talked with them and all this. And I would doubt that there will never be a ballerina party in the Fredericks home, for instance, with four boys. I doubt they've ever asked for that. And then another example of this, of pleasing people in particular, uh, Wendell told me a few weeks back of his wonderful trip to the American Girl Doll store in Dallas. Of course, Wendell has three daughters. And as I recall, Wendell's favorite part was the doll hair salon where doll hairstylists give your doll a new hairdo. Love that part. Uh, (laughs) Not that they necessarily did that, of course, but it was just the shock that people were actually paying a healthy son to get a doll do, you know. There's a movie coming out about it. It's a horror movie. It's called The Education of Wendell. Tally. <laughs> ah! <laughs> Just hear the screams of the dads, you know. But anyway, the only male you'll see at the American Doll Store would be a dad, you know, bringing his daughter. And they have the daughter and dad things. Or an unwilling brother who couldn't get out of it, you know, and he's, he's there. Uh, and it's interesting when you go to the pink and mauve and purple website of the Dallas store, it says this, celebrate your favorite girl with our deluxe party package and discover how you can make her day unique. It does not say celebrate your favorite son. No, it's for girls. Now, the point about this, it's all about pleasing, isn't it? Designing something, and, and most of us as parents have been a part of that, of figuring out something, the kind of birthday party that your child would like, that your, that, and then even among your boys, that particular son would like, maybe different than another son. Something that they would look forward to, they'd be excited, they would completely get into and remember it for years to come. That's what we want to do, to please them in that way. And That's what we began to look at last week, that this word please, this idea of pleasing God, is a critical one when it comes to our relationship with God. In many ways, it really summarizes the whole of our relationship to Him. In everything we do, it's supposed to be a function or a part of that pleasing Him. And that's why, in this passage, the most terrible damning thing that God can say of those who are in the flesh is in verse 8. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That's to say that everything is lost. The battle is over, full surrender, checkmate, end of story. There is nothing in terms of their relationship to God because they cannot, do not please Him. It's like saying, yeah, we had an okay year in football. Now, we didn't score, but it was, you say, what? Not a touchdown? Not a field goal? Safety? (laughs) No, nothing. 
You mean every game was something to nothing 12 times in a row. Yeah, that was... The, no, you didn't have an okay. You had a disaster year. <laughs> Absolute disaster. It couldn't be any worse. And in that sense, nothing worse, no greater disaster could be said about a human being than we don't please God. Because that's what we are made for. That's our, uh, in, in His image, that's our joy, that's our fulfillment, that's our wholeness, is to be given up to pleasing Him. So, of course, the implication in this is that those who are His do live to please Him. He's indicated that in verse 4, that the, the death of Christ is for the ultimate purpose that the requirement of the law would be fulfilled in us, that we would begin to live out God's Word in our lives. And uh, the, the whole contrast with what has come before in, in chapter 7, and then in chapter 6, how you've been set free for obedience So I want to explore, continue to explore this idea of pleasing God because it's uh, his underscoring it as the chief evil or the chief description of our rebellion against God means that let's look at the the, the pleasing that God brings to our lives, the the practice of pleasing him. Um, And along these lines, I think it's a very... It's a very difficult thing because we can begin to fall in an idea that I've got to keep pleasing him in order for him to uh, like me or in order to be accepted by him. And so I want to talk about a couple of things uh, that hopefully will be uh, helpful in this regard of how we please God. The first thing I want to mention is the pleasing of faith, okay, the pleasing of faith. But this is central, it's critical if we are going to live a life of pleasing to God. And, of course, thus far in Romans, faith has had a central place, that our relationship to Him begins by faith. We are justified by faith. In other places, he talks about our growth in faith. Everything is around faith. And a great summary statement is the one you've heard us quote many times from Hebrews eleven six: Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Okay, there you go. Wow. It, it must, everything I do in some way must be a part of that faith or I, I will not be pleasing to him. So right off the bat, the idea that you just need to start doing the right things apart from faith, apart from trust, apart from dependence, helplessness, brokenness, all of these things. No, that will never, ever please God. Never. It's got to be a function of a part of faith, a part of depending on him. <clears throat> Just take these passages. Psalm 51 says, You will not delight in sacrifice, I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. That is just an out- outward worship, doing the right thing, you see, obeying the ritual, keeping the external parts of worship, being there on time, singing, you know. <laughs> Saying the words of the confession, all those kinds of things. He said, those things in and of themselves, in a New Testament context, you you do not delight in them. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So a heart that is helplessly dependent upon God, a heart that realizes its own sinfulness before this God. A heart that realizes, apart from his mercy, I'm undone. 
That's what pleases God. Without this faith, it's impossible to please Him. It says in Psalm 149, The Lord takes pleasure in His people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Not the proud, of course, but the humble, the dependent, those who are trusting Him. Without faith, it is impossible. Isaiah 66, a similar thing. He says, This is the one to whom I I look. He says, I look to the one who's humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. See, that humility and brokenness and trust that gives itself up to the will of God and says, Not my will, O God. I depend upon you. I know that you will do me good. I know your word is good for me. I tremble at that word and would give my life to it. That idea of faith in everything that we do. And so I would like to just underscore three parts of this faith that uh, are so important. And, And they've come to be the ways I think about faith, really. But a dependence... And, a, and this includes a confidence and expectancy. You know, you can say, I'm helplessly dependent, but you, you may not be expectant, you know, confident in what he will do. Because that's the ultimate goal. Not only my own helplessness, but a confidence and expectancy that God will do me good because I trust him. See that? So pull those two things together, this helpless dependence, but a confidence. But first, for his forgiveness and favor. See, I have to, right off the bat, I can bring nothing to earn his acceptance. And so I must come to him confident in his work through Jesus Christ to take away my sin. Confident that when God has acted in Christ and offered Christ to me, that if I trust in this son, his son, my sins will be forgiven. I will be in God's favor. Not that I deserve it, not that I should in what I've been or done, But he has promised, and I begin with that dependence. But that dependence also is not only for forgiveness and favor, but it's also for my own transformation. See, dependent on you, that you will change me, you will renovate me, you will give me this spiritual makeover in my life that I cannot do on my own. That pleases him. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. So I trust him for forgiveness. I trust him for transformation. And then the older I get, this part looms larger and larger, is I trust him for his sovereign care over all aspects of my life that he will bring them good. And the more you've messed up, and for me, 59 years of it, okay, there's a lot in that part of my prayer life. Lord, thank you that Though I have not lived perfectly and though there's so many areas and ways that I have messed up and sinned against you, you still work all things together for good. I trust you with that. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. He loves to see us, loves to see us put our lives in his hands for forgiveness, for renovation, for care. And here are three of these words, if you want to remember them this way, for forgiveness, formation, and full care. Okay? Forgiveness, formation, and full care. I trust you. So the pleasing of faith, this has to be at the heart of everything we do. And this keeps us from thinking of our pleasing him as some kind of earning his favor. You know, 
If I do enough good, then I can earn his favor. No, first part, the whole part, the ABCs, every word of your obedience is formed by this. Depending on you, O Lord, for forgiveness and formation and full care. Flowing from this, not only a pleasing of faith, but a pleasing of praise. Okay? A pleasing of praise. Pleasing of joy. Pleasing of worship. I really think that the more intense your faith is, the more rich your joy will be. Because you are fully confident that God is doing you good. You're fully confident in His love towards you. In His plan for your life. You see more and more the beauty of His glory and His power and it shines into your hearts and your heart and it frees you and enlivens you and energizes you. And so in Psalm 69, verses 30 and 31, the psalmist says, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify Him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord, same word translated into the Greek, this will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hoofs. Again, it's not just being at worship. It's not just doing the right things. What pleases him is if I have a heart of gratitude. If I have a heart that rejoices in him, that thinks he's magnificent and I feel something of his magnificence. When I experience awe at him, he is pleased with that. When I'm humbled by his power, amazed at his creation, He is pleased. He is pleased. When you look at some aspect of your home, your day-to-day life, and you thank God that you have this or that you have that comfort, that pleases Him. It pleases Him. And, And therefore, in a given week, you could please Him in those ways and you wouldn't be pleasing him if pleasing him if in a given week you never have any joy at all, but you happen to show up at church. This will please the Lord, not just going through the motions. And so he says, you in First Peter two, you're living stones, you're being built up as a spiritual house, so you're a temple of worship, but then he changes the picture. After saying you're a spiritual house, he says you're a holy priesthood. So you're the pre, you're, you're the house of worship, the place of honor, but you're also the people who are giving the honor. So he's like using, you know, multiple metaphors. But he says you're this holy priesthood to offer sacrifices that are pleasing to God through Jesus Christ. He says this, this really is your whole life. You've been formed. That's what you are. You are a spiritual house. You are a priesthood. That's the whole of your life is to offer up this worship, this praise to him in every part of your life. And so First Timothy, when he talks in verse uh, chapter 2, when he talks about prayers that will be offered up, he says this is good, this is pleasing in the sight of our God. That kind of worship, that kind of dependence. And then... The, the famous among many of you here, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Why? This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This pleases Him to see you rejoicing, to be constantly praying or praying regularly, an attitude of prayer, giving thanks in all circumstances. That's a sweet savor to him. 
That's the sacrificial, that's the sacrificial smell he wants, you see, is that offering up of praise and joy to him. So, the, the pleasing of faith, the pleasing of joy, or if you want to say the pleasing of worship and praise. And then the pleasing of obedience, but I don't want to put the pleasing of obedience as though those aren't obedience. I'm just trying to give kind of the inner workings of that obedience. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength, Nehemiah 8.10. And so, we, we won't obey unless we believe. We won't obey really unless this belief is beginning to creating us an awe and a joy at this God. You don't obey for no reason, really. You obey because of a real encounter with the real God that, that grips you. And to keep that encounter fresh and growing and deepening so that more and more I want to give myself to this God that I'm coming to know more and more. And so faith and joy are at the heart of all obedience, at the heart of all pleasing. And that's what pleases God is that because I trust Him, because I adore Him, I want to give myself. That pleases Him, you see, because it's coming from the heart. But I want to underscore obedience here so that we don't get the idea of intentions or feelings do the job, okay? That as long as I feel certain things or I, uh, I sense certain things about God, I get thrilled about this or that aspect of God, that that's it. So listen to this passage. You know, all these passages say this isn't sacrifice, that's not sacrifice that pleases him, but this is. Here's another one. After Samuel had disobeyed God, uh, uh, not Samuel, yeah, I hope you caught that. Samuel didn't do that. That was Saul. Anyway, um, it was a test. Many of you failed. Uh, <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, so from 1 Samuel chapter 15, Samuel says, Has the Lord his great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. So the point would be, hey, I went to church today. Okay. Went to church all month, every, every Sunday. Okay? What was, what was preached? <laughs> you know, I don't really know. Not sure. Any Sunday, anything, anything that you prayed over, anything that you'd say, I tried to put that into my life and do it and obey it, or your daily reading. What, you see the point. It's not just you know, offering up a sacrifice. Here was, it looked so good for Saul to be offering sacrifices, but he was supposed to wait until Samuel got there. And uh, he gets there and says, did you disobey the Lord? And he says, no, no, I didn't disobey the Lord. Why do I hear the bleeding of sheep in my ears? You know, <laughs> kind of a dead giveaway um, that sheep are being sacrificed. And he says, and, and so he wanted to cover it over and said, but look what I'm doing. I'm sacrificing. We all like that. You know how your kids many times, they'll be disobeying you, a little child, and they just smile at you, you know? <laughs> hey, Daddy, I'm not doing what you told me to do, but does it, my smile make a difference, you know? <laughs> and you think, I'm going to take that smile off right now. Uh, <clears throat> and that's kind of what Saul is doing here. You know, look, Lord, look what I'm doing. How can you fault me for what I'm doing? Sacrificing. How can you fault me? I've been at church. I do the right things. 
Obedience. And of course, usually that means obedience is touching on those difficult parts of our lives that we like to keep cordoned off, right? No trespassing, God. Don't touch this or that. I've got my life in certain areas. I like to keep, you know, a good front for everybody. I like to be there, do the right things. But a lot of part of my life, I don't want you at. And that was the way it was for Saul. So he wants real action, real change in what we are, what we think, what we desire, what we say, what we do. That pleases him. When there's real change in who I am and what I do. He wants that. He doesn't want just outward show, some sacrifice. And of course, many of you remember the hard words in Matthew 7 when Jesus says, uh, many of you will say, Lord, didn't I prophesy in your name? Then he says, cast out demons in your name? Do mighty works in your name? You're kind of thinking, who were these people? You know, they, they seem to have done all this ministry, this fantastic ministry of some kind that probably wowed people, okay? And he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. He said, ultimately, I don't care how much ministry you do. Really? If that's just ministry, but your heart is still your own? And you're not working on your own relationship to your wife or your children or the way you do your work or your neighbors or your thought life and that's not a concern to you? You're just out there ministering? It's going to be a sad day in judgment for anybody who thinks ministry can replace obedience. Activity can replace obedience. And of course, again, I'm talking about obedience that comes out of faith, comes out of joy, okay? But this don't take away from the fact that it really has to be concrete obedience. That's, that's uh, Samuel's point to Saul. And so it's interesting, Jesus is making a point about the Pharisees. And Paul really makes the same point that they knew the word, but they didn't keep the word. And he gives this example of two brothers. Their father says to them, I want you to do this thing. One says he'll do it. The other one says, I'm not going to do it. And in the end, the one who says he's going to do it doesn't do it. The one who says he's not does it. And Jesus says, which one was faithful? They say, well, the one who did it. Isn't that interesting? Intentions, promises, all the right things said. Oh, yeah, I did. No, it's the actual doing Jesus looks at. That's what pleases him. And that's, that's very convicting to me. It's very helpful to keep that before us. That while we're talking about faith and joy, we mean it really ushers issues in real obedience. Don't, let's don't fake ourselves off with intentions or promises or talk. You know, the character in uh, Pilgrim's Progress, talkative. <laughs> Boy, he could talk doctrine. He could tell you, explore any doctrine you want to talk about. And he was excited. Oh, yeah, yeah, let's talk about that. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about another one. Let's show where other people are wrong and we're right. Oh, yeah, we can get him if we just get in a conversation with him. No, if there's not obedience, we're just talkative. We're just talkative. So to be pleasing to him. Interesting then uh, how Jesus dealt with this several times 
And he takes an opportunity to point it out. One time he's in the house teaching and somebody says, hey, your mother and brothers are outside. But he won't let that lie. As though that physical relationship to him was the ultimate thing. He says, no, whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. See, taking that point to say, you know, I just want you to understand that the fact that we were physical relationship ultimately won't mean anything if they're not obedient to God. And the mother, the, the woman that came and said, this is in uh, Luke uh, 11, verses 27 and 28, um, she says, blessed is the womb that bore you. Blessed are the breasts that nursed you. And he said, oh, no, no. Just the fact that Mary was involved in the care and nurture of Messiah. No, no. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and do it. Those are the blessed ones. Those are the blessed ones. So, obedience. This is the way we please him, the pleasing of obedience. But it must be inside-out obedience, as the Scriptures say again and again. Like, like in Matthew 5, where Jesus says, yeah, it's not just outward murder, but anger. Or it's not just adultery, physical adultery, but lust. So pleasing Him means pleasing Him with my thoughts, and which means my motives, my desires. That's where it really gets hard, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's where the battle is fought. That, my, that inside of my life, could be pleasing to Him. That's, that's where we fight. That's our glory, really, though. That's our glory that we are so concerned with pleasing our God. We're not happy just to be sitting here. I used to think, when I was, uh, before I was a Christian, that I did pretty good to make it to church every Sunday with my family. Then I become a Christian and I start to be concerned with how well am I listening to the sermon? How well did I sing that hymn? Was my heart engaged? Did, did I get joyful as I sang it? You know, did I, was I thrilled some? Did I enter into some of the awe of God as I worshiped? Those begin to be the kind of questions. That's our glory, though, you see? That's our joy that we're so energetic, we want insides to be pleasing to God. And of course, the point is, Nobody else sees that. Nobody else knows. And we think, I don't care if anybody knows or doesn't know. I know, and God knows. And I want to be pleasing to Him right where it counts, in my heart. Thanks be to God that He is the one that brings this about, because we can't. And that's why the psalmist prays in Psalm 19, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing, same word, pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And as he's talking to uh, slaves and, and their obedience to their master, he says, don't just obey them by eye service as people pleasers. In other words, don't just do your work because they said to. You think, well, that's a pretty good reason to do it, to be pleasing to them. But he says, do it as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Even your work during the week can't be carried out in just an external way of I got the job done. Here's Paul saying, I want that to be a function of your worship. I want it to be something that you do your work from the heart and you give it up to God as an offering to Him. 
And hopefully you'll do your work even more. You'll concentrate even more. You'll give yourself more to explore how you can do your work better, more energetically. Because this is a part of my worship to God. It's inside out, not just going through the motions. So isn't it interesting that God doesn't want you to go through the motions in worship, but he doesn't want you to go through the motions in anything. He wants you to go through the motions in your work. He doesn't want you to go through the motions in mowing your yard. (laughs) Not that I've ever done that. (laughs) But it's just to show that all of life, and this is our glory, all of life can be a part of my desire to please him. It makes every, there's no part of life that's not important. There's no part of life that's not glorious. It's not That's not, in the true meaning of this word, though it's overused, all of life becomes awesome because it is before this awesome God. Well, there's more to say. I think we're about to the end of what we need to say. I would leave you with uh, these passages that talk about the all-consuming giving of yourselves up later in Romans 12. He says, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. We talked about this, which is your spiritual worship. Then he says, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and pleasing and perfect. So whether we're here, whether we're dying, whether we're anything, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, our aim is to please Him. And it's interesting how many times they'll say, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean outside of His commandments, but it's a way to apply His commandments. How does His Word feed into what I'm thinking about or doing? And, and it even implies that we're going to be asking creative questions. How can I more and more manifest Christ to my wife or husband or children? How can I more and more manifest Christ and obey His commandments in this or that area of my life? So our lives are constantly exploring, hopefully with faith and joy and eagerness, how I can more and more live in a way that's pleasing to this God all under the umbrella of his acceptance as his children. Because my pleasing him never becomes the basis or foundation for my acceptance. That's the wonder of it, is that I'm made acceptable because of my union with Christ. And in that union, I have the safety to explore my motives and desires, the inside out of my life that has so much sin in it, but I have the safety of acceptance in Christ to give full vent to trying to please this God who's been so gracious to me in Christ. What a life. What a life to have a clean conscience and forgiveness, to know even in that final day that you'll be joined to Christ and your inheritance is the new heavens and the new earth. And in that overall context of final resurrection and the new heavens and the new earth, you can offer up yourself as a sacrifice pleasing to Him in the whole of your life. Well, I'll leave you. I said I'll leave you. Let me leave you with another one. (laughs) You already left us with that. Um, I do want to say this one thing because I, I think we need this encouragement. Hebrews 13, 
in, in Philippians 2. Here, here are two 13s to, to kind of remember. Hebrews 13.21, Philippians 2.13. Listen how similar they are. And I'll leave you with this encouragement. May He equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight. Isn't that encouraging? That the sovereign, mighty God is working in you that which is pleasing in His sight. See, we have no hope outside of that, which brings us back to faith, right? Trusting in His transformation. That as I give myself up to pleasing Him, I can say, Oh Lord, You're mighty God. You, you. What can When you decided to make the world, look what happened. Now you're decided to remake me. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? You are working to that which is pleasing. And then Philippians 2.13, the same kind of thing. It is God. And that's the, way, that's the emphasis, Paul. It's like the God who made heaven and earth. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Praise His name. Trust Him. Give yourselves up to this glorious life of pleasing Him. Let us pray. Lord, what a hope you are, what a glorious strength, what a refuge, saving us, Lord, from living to please ourselves, saving us from our destructive passions so that we would not give ourselves to those, as Peter says, to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. And oh, thank you, Lord, that you are working in us, that we might please our neighbor for his good to build him up and not to please ourselves, even as Christ did not please himself, but delivered himself up for our good. Lord, teach us continually the liberty, the wholeness, the, the humanness, the restoration of our humanity, that our lives be given up to pleasing you, and be given up to pleasing others for their good, to do them good as you are doing us good. Lord, in and of ourselves, we have nothing and are nothing, but you are God and you are working in us. We trust you. We would have confidence in you. And in that confidence, go forward to live lives pleasing to you. And Lord, if there's anyone here who would have to say, I have never even wanted to live a life pleasing to God. I've never seen anything in Him worth giving my life up for. May you work in their hearts even now as they see something of the beauty of Christ, giving Himself up for sinners. The beauty of Christ who would bring this kind of forgiveness and formation and and full care over every life that is entrusted to Him. May they, even now, entrust themselves to Him to be set free from self, to be set free to give themselves up to this gracious and good God. Bless them, Lord. Bless us for Your name's sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, 
and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain, break radiant through the shades of night, and chase my fears away. Won't you chase my fears away?